Next up, a brand new episode of Double Feature. In an overly self-important notes screenshot, perfectly befitting the platform itself, I have announced my departure from Twitter.com. Yeah, I know. I know, man. Thoughts, reactions, first opinions. You have to understand that for 24 hours I've had no hot takes, so I just need you to say something. No, I, uh, I, I just I, I don't care about what's going on on Twitter anymore. I mean, it's a fun little like circus experiment to like watch a social media juggernaut just like how did you bring yourself to not give a fuck about this because i noticed that you have not used your account for like a year i use my twitter to read things uh but i don't there's no reason to post on it i don't know i just don't i don't you know what it is man like what it's really come down to for me with social media um is like i realized it's probably similar to your thing, but your thing is like a little bit more like extrapolated beyond your actual social circle. Cause you're like really plugged into the news and stuff. But like, for me, like one of the things that I realized, like started to just wear me out, namely with Instagram is like, so, you know, like the thing that happens with social media is you like follow people, you meet a person, and then you follow them on social media. And then, you know, like the nature of humanity is that then you like kind of stop knowing that person because like life is a transient journey and individuals don't necessarily stick with people for the rest of their lives. And they shouldn't. That's how life should be. But like you never unfollow the people that you're no longer connected to personally. And so what ends up happening is like 10, 15 years go by and like, you know, every person that like Corey Craig has ever dated. And you're just like, why is that information occupying my brain? Yeah, I'm, I'm very much obsessed you know? with the limited capacity we have to store information, learn new things, retain, you know, when I yeah. started learning French, it was like, wow, I need a lot more free space. Just I have a whole other yeah. language I have to wedge in here. Right. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm very conscious of that too. And the other thing is like, you don't want to go through and just like, un you, for some reason, it also feels like sort of petty to like go and unfollow people that you're not interested in following. And I know that there are things you can do where you can be like, hide this person for X amount of months or what the fuck ever, who cares? But like, really what I wanted to do with social media was like, take away the power of people to know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good. Yeah. Because that to me was more important than like the storage of the bullshit. Cause I can easily just stop paying attention. But what I didn't want is I didn't want to run into say Corey Craig at some function at some point in my life and have her know things about me that I didn't actually like tell her. Um, which is why like, uh, there's just like whole swaths of individuals who know nothing about, they don't even know I've moved to San Francisco. You know, they, they think I'm living in Chicago or Austin or whatever. Um, and I like that. I like knowing that there are people who think they know what I'm up to and have no idea. I love 
I love that the people that know what my life is are the people that I'm directly connected to that I attempt to call on. I guess this is a phone call. Um, this is very much a phone call. I can hear the fidelity. And, uh, yeah. So, I'm just, uh, I'm afraid of it. I'm, yeah. It's the same thing that keeps me glued to it is I don't have the capacity to unplug. I get obsessed. And I'm, I'm like the worst doom scroll person, you know, you talk to. Yeah. And I've just hit a point where I know, okay, the ship didn't sink the way that everybody thought it would, which means like all of this fucking awful, just all of it, it's more resilient than we want to believe. We told ourselves any day now, it'll just poof out, be indicted. Mm -hmm get impeached, whatever it is, you know, the evil will be defeated and it basically mm-hmm. keeps not happening. Sure. And, uh, and now we seem to be hitting that spot in the, the graph where, you know, it's like the anti-trans people are being let back on and the, the poll shows that the platform's run by Nazis and just, well, you know, all of the, all of the sure. uh, none of this will make sense in three weeks when none of these are like stories again. But that's part of it. It's like I don't I don't want to be around it, but I also don't. Just the the desire to not be around it has never been enough to get me off of it. Right. And uh, and I keep building these increasing traps to make myself stop. You know, I I delete the app, but then I go on the Safari. You know. <laughs> Or, mm-hmm. or I'll uh, I'll remove a bunch of old tweets, but I can't quite get to the new stuff. Or I'll change my password to something I don't know, but it's like I know how to use forgot my password. I have my um, my router in my house. Physically has the well, virtually I guess has the IP address for Twitter servers, just like blocked. You can't access them from inside my house. And I'm just hoping that I can hold on to this because I'm uh, I'm afraid of going back and getting obsessed and then not doing anything that I like, not achieving anything with my life. Hey, you want to talk about some movies? Yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about um, uh, the future. You know, children are our future. Uh-huh. They say. I don't actually believe this, by the way, this thing that people say, like the children are our future and this whole thing where like Gen Z came out in droves and just like voted to not kill Earth. And everybody's like, wow, look at them persevering. <laughs> um, right. Right. And uh, it's like, I, you know, people say children are the future, but that's like saying, you know, the planet's going to catch fire eventually. It doesn't matter. Children are not the future. There is no future. Um but uh, there's um, two movies. One of them, fortunately, uh, fit into my 2022 journey, which is The Innocence. Um, it's almost and, time for uh, you, by the way. I'm, I'm going to hold you to account and do some sort of yeah. what the fuck 2022 uh, episode because you have done, you've seen more 2022 movies than literally people I know whose job it is to see and write about 2022 movies. Yeah. So at some point there's, there's going to be like a conclusion paragraph here, but uh, we're not there yet. And, uh, and I mean, I guess the innocence is because it's a, a, what is it? Norwegian, 
Norwegian language, mm-hmm. anyways, uh, movie. Um, I don't even know when the fuck this was filmed, but I do remember the moment when it came out uh, here, you know, on IFC Midnight. And mm-hmm. the other film is, uh, and maybe we'll talk about it first because the episode title will be funnier, but Mom and Dad. Yeah. Mom and Dad is, um, it's a, it's, it's half of a Neville Dean Taylor joint. So Neville Dean Taylor is, uh, it's a director duo that did, uh, was it Crank, right? Did they do the Crank movies? Uh, this and is all Gamer. new information to me, but it, I look at it now and I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Neville Dean Taylor was that director duo and I believe, uh, I believe it was Crank and then they did, they did Gamer, which is that movie, uh, like one of the very last, um, one of the very last Gerard Butler movies before he just started making movies nobody has ever seen, but like continues to like make movies that nobody watches. Um, well, you know, I love some crank movies. We've talked about that. Yeah. Same. I love the crank movies. And then, um, and, uh, they, they did, you know, Ghost Rider movie and a couple of things, but, uh, then they split up and one of them directed mom and he, you know, one like went on to like, kind of keep the keep the dream alive and then uh the other the other one i think actually i think they're both doing movies but uh mom and dad is it was uh it's an it's you know it's like an octane horror movie with nicholas cage and it's um you know we've talked a lot about nicholas cage and and how he's his what was most recently it was um What's it called? Kiss of the Vampire? What was that movie called? Oh, the one we did. Vamp- Vampire's Kiss, right? Yes. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. I thought um, I'd just let you find that yourself. It seems. Yeah, Vampire's Kiss. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole conversation around the insanity that is Nicolas Cage. And, you know, I've heard that Vampire's Kiss is, is argued to be his craziest role. And when we talked about Vampire's Kiss, we talked about how, uh, or I talked about how I feel like the craziness actually lends itself to the performance. And I don't feel like it's actually like emblematic of Nicolas Cage being eccentric so much as it's emblematic of Nicolas Cage understanding his job uh, in that movie. Now, Mom and Dad is the opposite. Um, Mom and Dad is a movie that is like nuts by design and then they bring in Nicolas Cage and like, okay, so this is a crazy movie. And he's like, so go crazy. And they're like, go as crazy as you want. And Nicolas Cage takes, takes things to a level of crazy that I don't think the movie understood it could get to. And this is a movie about killer parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just nuts. Uh, Th- this I, is I also think... a little early in the cycle of, um, you know, Nicolas Cage crazy is just like, it's sort of uh, one of the bullet points on the back of the... I was going to say the back of the Blu-ray, but that's in a fantasy world right. where people still buy those. Yeah, no. Uh, I think I have this one on DVD. Um, Thank you for keeping Blu-ray. the industry alive. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, appreciate it. But, um, the bullet yeah, points so, on the back are just uh, seven documentaries by Eric 13, and then at the bottom it's just like Nicolas Cage crazy included right. version. But uh, I, I always, 
I mean, I love this movie. When I first saw it, I saw the shit in the theater when it came out. And this, there are just moments of like this to me, I can't think of when I think of Nicolas Cage crazy, when I think of Nicolas Cage crazy, I think of Sawzall Sawzall. I think of him like doing like that binary alteration through the door of like screaming and crying. And it's really fucking cool in the context of this movie because, um, you know, it's a disease movie in a way. It's like a pandemic movie, sort of. It's like this, um, the parents all get sick with this disease that makes them kill their offspring, right? It's like maybe a parasite or a, or a, or a virus or something. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's the end of the, the zombie movies. You know, sure. I think those okay. really, yeah. really kind of petered out. I always feel like we're at the end of the zombie, you know what I mean? Like every yeah. five years I'm like, ah, the zombie era has finally ended for a minute. And it kind of never does. But, you know, we had um, we had mayhem and we had, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, the sadness recently mm-hmm. um, based on that comic that really pushes that idea, um, graphic novel manga yeah. i don't know what the fuck it is people are going to get mad at me no matter what i say <laughs> uh but it is, it is a i'm told it's like some real hard art stuff yeah constantly people are recommending that to me and i just haven't had a chance to see it yet but yeah so i i kind of put this in with zombie movies just because we're following a little bit of that same like let's look at the makeup of the film it's a lot of news reports, you got to shoot them in the head kind of stuff, you know, no matter mm-hmm. how much you love your children, don't touch them, <laughs> you know, right? Like, like, here's what we're learning, reports are not confirmed, blips about the world, and then everybody's kind of racing home from being out in the world where some event struck, and there's chaos, and we don't know what's going on, back to the safety of their homes. But what awaits them in their homes might be more danger. So that that sort of seems like, okay, we're doing some zombie beats and it really mm-hmm. is the 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 what's well, the parents murdering their kids that makes the movie different. Right. And different in a lot of ways that like I didn't I didn't expect. Yeah, it's it's crazy when that first the first uh when with the with the minivan. Mm. When the movie kind of sets up like so this is a movie called Mom and Dad and it's uh titled after the enemies in the movie. It's like the monster is the title. You know, we've talked a lot on the show uh about how how could you know, killing the kids, killing the dogs, which one's worse, which one don't we want to see? And uh for the record just so in case anybody's not fully uh, caught up on double feature, we tend to agree that don't kill the dog, but killing the kid is good for dramatic effect. Yeah, it's kind of weird how that happens. And uh, so this movie is like very, um, because the movie kind of has like a popcorn vibe to it, you know, that sort of like Brian Taylor crank-esque, like, okay, so this is like in a way surreal. It's not quite our universe. It feels like, okay, we're going to have some fun, but there is just like something very dark about the finality of the disease being all kids are murdered, right? Yeah. Um, It it like can't quite, and I think it's a good thing, but the movie doesn't ever wriggle out from under the weight that we're talking about killing children. It never, it never quite makes it like. Well, it kind of jumps right into it because it's, you know, the first person were one of the first, 
threats is that we're going to murder this baby who has been literally, yeah. you know, out of the womb for like three seconds. Yeah. So that is such a, it is such a like crank kind of scene to go, okay, we're getting into this and we are going to really get into it. There is no, we all know where it's going, but let's slow roll it. It's like, mm -hmm. great, here's the premise of the movie. Okay, what's the fucking craziest thing we could do with that? Okay, do that exactly. first. Now come up with another thing. Now get Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Yeah. so I, I feel like you have to appreciate the, uh, really the insanity of that. Dude, this movie, at the end of the day, and I mean, like, you know, you can, we can, you can call it whatever you want, uh, but the movie has, you know, balls, it's a movie that, I mean, and it's 2017 also. So this is like a pre-pandemic, like sort of like not it's, it's uh, the woke era is like sort of still simmering. It's not quite, it doesn't really have legs or a voice yet. And uh, I remember, man, that reminds me. I remember seeing this movie in the theater with that sort of like same disarray uh as when I saw, I think it was Mandy, came out around the same time. Well, yeah, I, I kind of remember Revenge was maybe the year after or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of these movies were coming out where I, I wanted something twisted, which is why I yeah. saw this. Yeah, and, and I remember seeing this movie in the theater and being like, you know, sort of back to our initial conversation. Like, I remember being bogged down by the outside world so much mm -hmm. and then going into mom and dad and like it it being very fun and it being like extremely memorable but it did not it was still in that place where like nothing could provide the actual literal escapism i was looking for because there wasn't a thing to escape you couldn't escape like you, you yeah. just everything was palpable um but but i do remember like like being glued to this movie in search of it taking me to a place that wasn't where I was. And again, that goes back to what I want, what I was talking about with Nicolas Cage. Like it's, I just want to talk about Nicolas Cage again for a second. I know I always do, <laughs> but I think it's really important in this context because, um, because there's sort of a promise now in movies when uh, Nicolas Cage is in them. And, and there was like a, there was a dip. There was like the Sorcerer's Apprentice dip where like Nicolas Cage was in, uh, you know, it was Bangkok Dangerous. I think we talk about all the time. Oh, it's yeah, like that yeah. moment where Nicolas, where Nicolas Cage jumped his own shark and people were just like, Nicolas Cage, I guess, does trash movies now. And he just did that for a while. And then he sort of had this, he had this renaissance. Um, and I think mom and dad was on the, ups it's mom and dad is sort of like the kiss kiss bang bang what kiss kiss bang bang was for robert downey jr i feel like mom and dad was for nicholas cage because he hadn't quite mandied himself into a place where his uh insanity was being viewed as art again oh well that's what i mean when i say like it wasn't quite a bullet point yet people yeah. weren't going well yeah. one thing about our movie is it's got crazy nicholas cage it right. it knows that's going to happen but it's a little bit right. more yeah, it feels more like it's crazy that Nicolas Cage would do this movie and not Nicolas Cage is crazy. Yeah. Although, again, after Bangkok Dangerous, maybe the, the phrase, it's crazy that Nicolas Cage would do this movie is not really right. a sentence that anyone was saying. But it, at least the idea of, like, crank but with Nicolas Cage, you know, something like sure. that. Yeah. Sure. And then I got, we, can, we also have to call Selma Blair out Thank for you. not being... 
not being uh, the obvious choice for a, a homicidal maniac mother. And very um, cool that she plays, you know, she's playing across from Nicolas Cage. I always think about that scene where they're, they're like talking over the pool table room or whatever. Yeah. And you, you basically see what his meltdown looks like and then you see what her meltdown looks like. And his is very, you know, exterior. Hers is very interior. Yeah. I just love the the two different ways that this manifests. They're not doing, you know, impressions of each other or anything. It's really, I mean, it's a movie to me. I, I remember seeing Mom and Dad and having this thought and just being like, this is a movie. And I feel this way now having rewatched it. This is the first time I rewatched it since seeing it in the theater. But I remember seeing this movie and being like, this is a great movie that will either like resurface in a few years as just like an absolute canonical cult movie. Just, you know what I mean? Like it's going to show back up the way Leon the Professional is just like a movie everybody knows now. Uh, Or it's going to fade into obscurity and that would be an absolute travesty because it's a movie that has never it's 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 a movie that approaches something that has never been done before i'll never say that a movie's never been done before because one i haven't seen every movie and two there's like eight options for what your movie's about so but it it approaches something that's never been done before and it and and because of the shifts in the social consciousness following this movie it is likely it will not be able to be done again for a very long time and so I just feel like it's a movie that I knew at the time people weren't going to get it. And I was really hoping that eventually there would come a time and a place where people would get it. But even I remember seeing it and going, I want to put this on double feature, but I just, I don't even think, I don't even think Eric will like it yet. Cause I think, I think it's a little too schlocky in like the current ethos well, if uh, it was a 2000, you know, 2005 movie or something, yeah, yeah you could totally see cult status. I mean, it would, mm-hmm. uh, it, it would really sing in a lineup of, like, would-you-rather era kind of movies. Exactly. But I think For there's sure. a couple things about this movie that are already... I mean, you mentioned Selma Blair, who, if people don't know, she's basically, like, retired from acting. She had mm-hmm. a... Uh, it's really sad, actually. She had an MS diagnosis. Yep. And as far as I remember, she wrote a memoir I haven't read yet, but, uh, you know, she was somebody that I really liked. She's got a great body of work, and I still haven't seen a lot of what she's been in. So there's a lot more, more Selma Blair movies to be discovered. But, you know, this was one of the last movies she did before her MS basically got to a, a place where... She just felt like she couldn't act anymore. Right. And, you know, it's it's uh, cool that it's a very performance-based thing and also just fucking poppy enough that, you know, people are going to see it. It's not a movie, a, a small art film in obscurity. Like, I could see it coming back in, in a big way because it's got that... You know, what's weird about this movie to me is it gets to be fucking hyper-pop and character-driven at the same time. Yeah. Because, you know, the edits, the music, all of that is in your face. I mean, you know, 11 out of 10 in your face. That's the the real amped-up zombie movie, crank cuts, all of it. 
And that's what I see pulling the movie to the surface, you know, decade after decade as it gets cult resurgences. But because it's about a turning in the characters and really it does have some meat at the heart of it, you know, they, they do this thing about planned obsolescence and it's like getting old, being replaced. You know, there's, there is a character-based drive to killing the kids you know, like reaches for some ethos or whatever in order to do it. So I just think that's what makes it such a cool Selma Blair movie too because yeah. you you get to watch scenes like the pool table scene. You get to see her meltdown in the car, think about, you know, it's really all like heavy character stuff in her life that let her down that, you know, she wasn't able to achieve. Um, of course, the same for Nicolas Cage's character, like trying to... to access this early when things used to be better in the before times before he entered a phase of his life that he doesn't like mm-hmm. so I, I think i think all of that stuff is really cool but planned obsolescence is sort of it's not really the term i wanted to hang on that because i feel like uh, i have my own hang-ups with planned obsolescence you know it's like uh, basically a conspiracy theory yeah planned obsolescence is actually just time <laughs> right. Well, that's that's the thing is there's something even like harder about all of this, yeah. which is yeah. it's it is yeah. natural. They kind of go, oh, planned obsolescence is part of nature, and it's like, well, no, it's not because the term planned implies that somebody fucking planned it. Like right. by by the very definition, planned it's the it's like the fucking blind watchmaker thing. I hate you know. Mm-hmm. You can't call it planned obsolescence and then be like, you see it in nature. That's just obsolescence. We can just address obsolescence, but whatever. Right. So, you know, so the movie, it's also got Dr. Oz in it. So, like, I don't think the science of this movie is really what we're, what we're going to be calling back to it for. But um, uh, the obsolescence part, yeah, that's always going to hit. It's like an eternally resonant theme. And... Uh, and then I also think this movie should. This is this is kind of the style of it, I guess. But fuck a third act, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like whatever. We we've hit this climax where we kind of know where the movie could turn or what it could do, and it's just sort of like, that ah, we're out. <laughs> I just I really liked that about it the first time I saw it. It's what makes me watch the movie again. Like, puts me in the mood to see the movie. Where I'm sort of like, oh yeah, by the time it's going to do something structurally, where they like go in the basement and they're tied up and all of this stuff is going on, it's just kind of, it's kind of like, cut to credits, jam the music. It's just a real, uh, it's a real rock and roll move. Looking for more double feature? Find nearly thousands of episodes at patreoncom feature. I've called you because I want to talk about the innocence. The innocence, uh, you know, when when the parents can't kill the kids, let the kids kill each other, right? <laughs> the innocence, by the way, the one from like 2021, 20, 22, not the yeah, 12, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other, 12 other movies called sure. The Innocence. There are just some titles that I feel like people should just accept that they can't use. Well, it's a foreign film. And mom, mom and dad might be one of them. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might um, be. yeah, right. Uh, but um, yeah, so The Innocence is, uh, 
it's a movie that when I first when I first watched it, I think I, I, when we were texting back and forth, you you saw that I updated my letterbox, and you were like, "What goes with the innocence?" And I I mentioned Chronicle. Um, but you know, some time has passed since we had that conversation, and I just feel like it's not like Chronicle at all. Um, the sort of, the sort of like skeletal outline of the innocence is that there's a, there's four kids or so, some kids and they develop. So well, I, I think I, the movie. I should say the, the, the synopsis can be go fucking see the innocence first before sure. we do sure. this. Because <laughs> even but, as those words were creeping forward, I was like, I, I'll put out there now that one of the things I loved about this movie is I just knew it was like sort of a weird foreign horror movie that has yeah. creepy music and I didn't know mm-hmm. it's like creepy ethereal score and and prolonged glances and so for me this was one of those movies that was like oh yeah this seems like something I'm gonna like but what is it and I love the period of not knowing what it is yet so well, you, but you so think we're gonna have, we're basically gonna have to blow that so people should just watch the movie I just so I think that that's one of the things I think is really important about about discussing the innocence is I think that the innocence comes out in an era where um, every third movie is a superhero movie, and I'm not saying Marvel or DC, but like every third movie is either a superhero movie, a meta superhero movie, uh, a dark superhero movie, a movie that's sort of about superheroes but maybe different. Or the Sandman. That's the other option. Sure. Um, Who who is that? That's Vertigo, right? Didn't DC technically own them at some point? I don't know. Oh, well. um, I tried to find a third company, but there's no room in our monopolistic (laughs) clusterfuck capitalism for that. But uh, I I just, I think that that it would be easy for somebody to watch The Innocents and do it a great disservice by saying it's like a bunch of kids who develop superpowers and then, you know, superhero stuff, but like kids, right? I feel like that's that's sort of like a very pedestrian, like uh, hooky way to get people to care about this movie. But to me, what it's more, what sort of more happens, and I think it's really important to like the crux of what's going on is is not that they develop superpowers in an individual basis, but they develop like um, they develop like a like a psychokinetic network within the four of them. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things that's just the fucking coolest about yeah. the innocence. Because it's not like this person learns to fly and this person can move things with their mind and this per you know, it's not X-Men, right? It's not a bunch of kids in a school and suddenly they get power or the remember uh, Misfits, that show, the, yeah, um, yeah, the yeah, British yeah. show. Back when we were so thirsty for superheroes, we were like, hey, someone finally did it. Yeah, and it was like, they've got powers. Oh, they got new powers. Oh, they're switching power. I mean, the show was literally plug in a new power from the roster of common powers and see how it plays out. But uh, the innocence is different because, like, one character has essentially no powers. One character is extremely strong but can't communicate the other one is a conduit for that character and the other characters you know it's 
the the it's sort of like the four of these children together have the function of what might be called a superpower or right? even it's just like a, a regular power at some point yeah. you're you're like between the four of them they can do basically what a slightly out of shape adult can with their hands yeah. you know yeah it's really cool because it's not it's it doesn't feel like like powers versus powers it feels like uh it feels like this kinetic you know it feels like this kinetic network that immediately puts stress on their the four of them and it starts to break things down which brings me back <laughs> to again the conversation we had at the beginning of the show before you even mentioned the movie titles this idea of of the inherent stressors by connecting a bunch of people who don't necessarily want to be connected. And that was the thing that I thought so much about when I was watching the innocence is how it is. There is, there is, I don't even know if it's intentional. I feel like it's just naturalistic. It's naturally sort of a conversation that can be had, but it's, it's a movie that is very, it's a very like allegorical movie about social networks. And I don't, I don't, I, you know, social networks always feels like capital social networks. Like it feels like I'm like, this is what sure, happens sure, with Twitter, but it's, it's this, it's this microcosmic glimpse at, at four people who essentially all start following each other at the same time. And then they, they become, they, they know what everyone else is doing. And they know what, you know, and they're all in, they're all intertwined in ways they maybe don't want to be intertwined. And, uh, and then it becomes a power struggle. It becomes, well, I have X powers and I want to be the strongest, or I don't want you to stop me from doing the things I want to do. You know, it is interesting. To, it is interesting to think about like how a movie does that. Because this is also something I really love, is when you just sprinkle the right stuff in there, you have enough of a, a, a kind of like metaphorical sandbox that, right. um, that people can bring their own, they can graft their own things on it. I've always felt like these are the most exciting ideas artistically when you kind of go, ah, why don't we fuck around with a little of this and a little of this? And you could see why society would be interested broadly in these things. It's not, okay, I've got this hyper-specific thing I want to say. I'm going to mask it in some similes, and maybe somebody will figure it out. It's more just like you're creating the skeleton, and people can just go in there. They can hang stuff on it. And, you know, as soon as you started talking about the idea of a network, like my my brain lit up. I just felt like okay, it's. I mean, this is also just like it's cities. It's like you said, a lowercase social network, right? It's how people depend on each other for survival. It's um, how the sum of the parts. You know, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. How we need people in society, even even um, if we don't want to need them. I mean, one of the girls in this movie, you know, she utterly depends on everybody else. And when she finds, you know, when she's connected to these three other people or one other person or whatever, 
she's able to empower herself in a way that she wasn't just like with her parents taking care of her. And yeah, it's a total metaphor for, like you said, intentional or not, it can be a complete metaphor for how we interact with other people. And I think that, you know, it's also one of those things that, um, that lets a movie really sneak up on you because when, you, when you're putting those pieces together yourself, I always feel like something just, uh, it lights up like you've solved a puzzle or you've you really you've solved a mystery. All the clues were there, you kind of assembled them and holy fuck, you know what this is just like. And it's just a little bit of a hair raising, you know, mm-hmm. hair raising moment. And I, I do think, I don't know that, you know, these are specifically intentional, but I do think this is the kind of movie that does a lot of that sort of work where it's talking broadly about something or it kind of understands that let's fuck around with this and, and there might be some good metaphorical labor that's done in here, you know? Like the uh, right. kind of the idea of, I mean, there, there's quite a few of them actually in the movie. The one that really got me was this, um, this sort of, uh, what do you want to call it? Not a patter, I guess, but, um, you know, when, I, when the, the pieces start lighting up and you can step back and see what you're looking at, and I recognize this little story about, you know, giving voice to the voiceless. And as soon as that crept up on me, as soon as it's like, okay, somebody who can't, literally can't speak for themselves, literally can't do anything for themselves, and then one day finds out through whatever means that, you know, like there's a little bit of tension the movie plays with. Oh, is she going to talk? Who can she talk in front Mm -hmm. of? Can she just summon the words, you know, fucking close-up shots of the girl holding hands? And it just, like, I, I burst into tears just fucking thinking about it, you know? It's just, like, one of those, uh, I think there's just some, some fucked up little tiny tortured child inside of me. And when I see stuff like that, and it's just such an underdog thing, it's such a, like, a person who cannot help themselves and goes through the world, you know, in this scenario, and then suddenly one day things just start fucking working, you know? Uh, they they are suddenly empowered to do things. They're not an invisible background, you know, uh, kid. And right. that's kind of how I feel about all the kids a little bit. They're all a little misfitty. Mm-hmm. Although, um, it, you know, I think the the movie just manipulates me so so easy. The one kid is like it's like Joffrey all over again. You remember Joffrey? <laughs> You remember going through mm-hmm. that in your life? You're watching that fucking show? Yeah. And, then, and you're just like, you're showing up every week just cursing the worst child who's ever existed in fiction, just being like, you little fuck, why are you so miserable? I was immediately taken back to that where I'm like, I fucking hate this kid. Everything he does, I get so upset. I don't know if you think there's any... Um, I mean, it'd be one thing for him to be, like, exacting revenge, but I think it's his random nature that's really, like, I want to agree with you, but there's, like, this thing in in my understanding. You know how, like, kids his age just, like, like, 
step on cats Fuck with bugs yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not cats yeah. but bugs you know like uh, it's it and it's not again it's it's not i don't even i just don't know if it's from a capacity for malice so much as it's from a desire to understand how much power they wield mm. right um Granted, like the kid lacks empathy, uh, pretty obviously in what goes down with his own fucking mother. Um, so it, it is more or less inarguable, uh, that he's like, Oh, I just misunderstood. Cause I feel like when you boil a person's legs yeah, just yeah. to see, um, it's probably, he's probably not a good dude. It does force but, you to ask questions though, about like how responsible a person is for, for being a genetic psychopath. Right. You know, like at such a young age, yeah, that kid has no empathy for the, even the way you describe it, Michael, it sounds like something is medically wrong with him. Not that, yeah. you know, he's just, he's had his time to develop his moral compass and decided to be the worst person alive. You know, it's just right. like, oh, something is wrong with this child. Mm-hmm. But we don't really know why that is, though. And I think, you know, this is another thing where the movie is not drawing such a specific, there's no, like, red circle around things to just tell you how it is. So even now as we talk about it, I'm kind of sitting here being like, well, academically I feel some remorse for this, <laughs> you know, for this kid. Mm-hmm. I feel like, is it his fault he's the worst person alive? <laughs> Maybe not. We right. don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think we can both agree that he's the worst person alive, but it's who is at fault, if anyone? That is that is the question that the movie leaves uh, unanswered. But I don't disagree with his fate either. Um, easily, and I've seen, let me, let me be, let me just, you know, once again out myself. I've seen everything Marvel's ever done since the MCU started. Seen it all. And uh, easily one of like my top five like final fight scenes in a, The Innocence. Isn't that easily. crazy? What a, I'm so yeah, happy we watched nuts. this film. You know, it's really, it's such a great movie. And I, I was also thinking like, it is amazing that a, a superpower scene in a movie can still work in its big moments when there Mm -hmm. is a multi-million dollar machine trying to routinely outdo their own most expensive spectacle what six to eight times a year just what's an even bigger power what's another thing we haven't shown you that can explode even larger and then for this movie to come along and like the brushes that it is using are sort of it's all muted colors man so, you know, when you show up to, to have the, the like, final uh, showdown, for, I guess, lack of a better, better phrase, mm-hmm. it's like, it's got to be muted. It's going to be small. It's going to be what could right. happen, you know, in this world. And, and the way that, that uh, the way that this movie operates, this kind of story it's telling you know, like this showdown could happen somewhere where no one around realizes it's going on. It could be like kind of windy on a beach, you know, like that's <laughs> sort of about the the only moment when when I can think of where anybody really goes, 
hey, I caught you doing something, is like w- when someone tries to push someone else off a bridge, right. <laughs> like with their hands. Mm-hmm. So it's not really like a mind beam is going gonna, is gonna, to uh, cut across and create a, a chasm in the ground or anything. And so for right. the movie to still have something that feels just as big as one of those multi-million dollar over-orchestrated gigantic scenes, it kind of speaks to the way you you tell the story and not, I don't know, I guess not how it's written or not what it, not really what you're looking at, but how you're looking at it, I guess. I think people know where I'm going with that. I hope so. Maybe it doesn't make any sense. Whatever. Is this a video request? Are you requesting video? You know, this is the thing about being on a phone is like there's these random things you can accidentally tap. Just <laughs> ignore it. I can't ignore it. Now I have a picture of me on my screen. This is the last thing I wanted I'm to see sorry. today. I'm sorry. Well, listen, that's the end of this conversation. I just fucked up the whole fucking call. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> okay. Bye. This show brought to you by the executive producers of Double Feature. Tony Gleed, Tom Leonard, Peter Paul, Kara Schoonmaker, Henrik Dinter, Charles Crawford, Charles Kanzonery, and Ben Ecker. I'm your weekly intern, Arnold Schwarzenegger, signing off. If you like this show, help to keep it on the air by joining patreon.com forward slash double feature.